Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Well, you may have a seat. Welcome to church. Thank you, worship team. Well, my name's Kyla, and I have the privilege of um, sharing from um, the Word today from Ephesians. We're in the middle of our series. Um, we're up to Ephesians three fourteen to 21, and I encourage you that if you've only joined us today or you haven't read up to that point, that you go and, and you really dig into these chapters because they're so rich in meaning. And um, I know that so many of us are being blessed as we've taken the Word and we've unpacked it and we dissected it. And we've applied it to our lives. Um, so a warm welcome um, to you if you're visiting today. I know I've got some few visitors. So warm welcome to you. Um, and trust that you've already sensed the presence of God and that the Lord would really speak to you a word in season um, today. So if you have your Bibles, um, I encourage you to open them. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, or if you've got your devices, whatever it is. It is up on the screen, but I want us to kind of stay with that because we're going to dissect it today. Um, but before, I, before we dig in, I just want to share a story. I was reading a news article um, in the week, and I read in 2012 there was a homeless man in England and a 60-year-old homeless man by the name of Timothy Henry Gray and he used to live out on the streets and unfortunately one night he, um, it was bitterly cold and he, he died under a railway bridge um, back in 2012. And many homeless slept there that night but because he hadn't enough clothes and it was particularly cold, he didn't make it. And after his death I read, it was discovered that he was in fact heir to a millionaire. They had been trying to look for him and they had not found him to tell him that he had, in fact, inherited $19 million um, due to a copper mining fortune back years and years and years prior. Um, and in his wallet, they found that there was this large, um, I think it's called a cashier's check, from nine years prior for a really large amount that he hadn't cashed in for whatever reason. And when I was reading it, I felt so sad that this man, he died um, a pauper, but he, and he died with, with nothing and, with, um, and from lack, when in reality he was a millionaire and he had everything that he needed. And it got me thinking, you know, we've been talking about Ephesians and we've been studying Ephesians about the riches that we have in Christ and the spiritual blessings that we have and the spiritual wealth that is ours because of Jesus. And we've been learning about that once we were dead and now we are alive and how Jesus has blessed us with spiritual blessings and unlimited resources. Um, we, we've learned that we were without a deliverer, that before Christ we were out promises of God, that we had no hope, that we weren't privileged to what the Jews had, but in Christ all of that was reversed and now we are seated in Christ in heavenly places and we have unlimited resources in him, um, spiritual blessings. Yet so many times we either live ignorant of what we have in Christ or we know a lot theoretically but we fail to implement it in our lives. And we fail to live the abundant life that the Apostle John wrote about. 
And so this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is conscious of. So in Ephesians 3, he prays his prayer of intercession for the Ephesians, which which can be prayed for all believers, so that includes us, to begin to live out what they know by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they had been learning all these things. He'd been painting a picture of all that we have in Christ. But now we come to Ephesians 3, which we're going to read in a minute, where he begins to pray that they would take what they know and begin to use it for his glory. So let's read it together. It should be up on the screens as well. It says in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, we've read this prayer so many times, but today I really want to unpack it and dissect it and apply it to our lives. Um, And it's really interesting. I found it really interesting when you compare this prayer in chapter 3 against Paul's first prayer in chapter 1, the comparison between the two. Um, one, the chapter one prayer, I've got that up on the PowerPoint. Can you see past my head? Can people see? Am I not blocking the PowerPoint? So Paul's first prayer was really a prayer of an enlightenment, that they may know, um, that they may understand. Um, but the second prayer was a prayer of, um, of an enablement, of empowerment, that they may now use this power. So one was about, Know what you are. But the second prayer is to be what you know. One was about you in Christ and the other one was about Christ in you. And this is not replacing, but this is just saying, okay, the first one was, Lord, I pray that you, your eyes would be open to all that you have in Christ. But now this prayer is a prayer about may you now use what you have in Christ. Um, And this is really how the book of Ephesians is actually structured. It's really divided into two sections, um, chapter 1 to 3, which is what we call the indicative. And the indicative means a statement or a descriptive statement or fact. And so what Paul has been giving in the first three chapters that we've been studying is all the facts and truths of the Christian life, which could really be summed up in the word wealth. We've been looking at our wealth that we have in Christ. But the second part of Ephesians is what we call the imperative. And that's what we're going to be looking at next, chapters 4 to 6, which looks at our walk, how we're to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. And then it looks at our warfare. 
And that's really about a command. Don't just know, don't just learn. Like when I went to Bible college, I loved just to learn and I loved to do. And, you know, I learned all these things about being a counsellor and, and being a minister and all these things. And then I graduated. And then I was released out and it was now, okay, take what you know and begin to do. And it I couldn't just sit in classes. Sometimes we, we love just to go from class to class and class and we become addictive to learning and that is good. But if we fail to implement what we learn, then we've just a bunch of knowledge and, and God wants to release what he's been teaching us, not in our own doing, but in the power of his might and strength um, so that we can begin to see him work out what he's been saying all this, all this time. And so really this is about, um, this prayer is almost like in the middle. So it's summing up all that we've been learning, but it's launching, it's a springboard into, into doing what is next. So let's begin to unpack it today. So it starts off in verse 14. It says, For this reason... Now, it's good to ask, well, what's the reason? Why is he writing this? And if you look at the Amplified Version, it, says it, it explains it quite well. It says, For this reason, grasping the greatness of this plan by which Jews and Gentiles are joined together in Christ, I bow my knees. In other words, we've been learning about how God's plan wasn't just about the Jews. Yes, they were God's chosen people, but God's great plan was that all were included in his great plan. Now, if you're not sure the difference between Jews and Gentiles, Jews were God's chosen people and Gentiles was everyone else. So you and I, unless you're a Jew here today, you're a Gentile. But we're no longer Jews or Gentiles because in Christ we are one and we are Christians, we're believers and we're part of the body of Christ. And so that's what we've been learning about um, all these all these weeks. And so for this reason, this is why he's praying, I bow my knees or I, I kneel before the Father as the NIV says. And the thing is, Jews didn't pray like this. They didn't, they actually stood when they prayed. So this is not a posture that we must take in praying that God only answers our prayers when we're on our knees. Really what this is saying is it's, are symbolic of, of submission and reverence. It's a picture of humility that Paul wanted to know that this is the position of his heart that he was taking because it was so contrary to how they prayed. And then he has four petitions that we're going to look at today. So he, they all start with the, um, the word that. So it... In, if we go back to our verses, it's out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you. And then it says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So, and then it goes on to say, so that you may know the love of God. And then it goes on to say, so that you may be filled to the measure of fullness. So we're going to look at these four petitions. The first one being strength. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I think I have the King James Version on that. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, why is Paul praying that for them? 
And if you go back to the previous verse, verse 13, before this prayer, it says, Paul said to, to them, I ask that you may not become discouraged, or in other words, lose heart because of my sufferings for you. See, the Ephesians were in danger of losing heart, of being discouraged because Paul was in prison and he was suffering on behalf of them. And they were really discouraged and they were losing heart over this. And so Paul is wanting to pray for them for strength in their inner being so that they can continue to keep on going when they feel like giving up. You know, we all lose heart at times. We all lose lose strength at times and we become discouraged whether it be through temptations or whether it be through trials and troubles or we're doing too much or we're we're just simply too busy we all have different capacities but all at times we come to the end of ourselves where we're like we just can't keep doing this and we don't know how how to pick ourselves up again And this is when we need the Holy Spirit's power and strength to keep on going. And I feel for many this year that many have have faced battles and we've just spoken about that today. And I just feel like there's been a lot of battles that people have been facing. But last night when I was praying, I particularly felt there was battles of the mind, that there's been a real mental battle going on in many people. And it's been this relentless, almost torment of just... I just don't know when it's going to stop and I don't know how to keep going. And there's just been this almost spirit of discouragement and despair upon people to try and distract, to try and drain your strength and really discourage. But I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to say today, hey, I want to come and I want to fill you again with new strength and new power and I want to take off that, off that discouragement and that despair and, and bring peace to your mind. God wants to renew his strength today and you know what? He gives strength out of or according to his riches. What does that mean? So he doesn't say it's from his riches, which would speak of an amount that he wants to give. It says according to. It's like, in other words, it's like saying a millionaire wrote you a check and he gave you $100 from his wealth. That's not what it's saying. That's a particular amount that he's given from his wealth. But what this is saying is if the millionaire gave you a book of blank checks and said, take this, fill in what you need, that is according to his riches. It speaks of who he is. It's out of his abundance. Now, we're not talking about riches here. My point isn't money here today. The point is his strength and resources are limitless. And they are available to every Christian, not to those that are just up here, not to those that seem to be doing more for the kingdom. They are available to every single believer here today if we would just access it by faith. Isaiah 40, I want to read verse 28. So we have limited strength. Some of you have more strength than the person next to you. And, you know, we all, we all have times where we feel stronger at, than others. But what I want to encourage you today that it says in Isaiah 40 verse 28 that God 
will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. So his strength does not run out. It is limitless, as I said. And sometimes we feel like, oh, Lord, I've asked you so many times and I just keep asking and asking. But you know what? Keep on asking because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And it says he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And this is one of my um, all-time favorite scriptures. And I love that, that um, verse that says, but those who hope, or in other words, those that lean on, rely on. As I said, it's access. His strength is access through faith and through submitting to his word and his spirit. And he can just give supernatural strength. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. When I've personally been at the end of myself and I just don't know how to keep on going and then he just gives a word in season and boom, this new strength is released. But he also wants us to grow in our strength. And one of the keys that he's given us, one of the tools that he's given us that I really felt he wanted me to remind us of today is the gift of tongues, of speaking in that supernatural language that we are given by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't have that today, don't beat yourself up and say, well, I don't, you know, you can ask the Lord for, for that. But there's a real key there in um, renewing our strength. But we also renew our strength through gathering together and encouraging one another through worship and through prayer and through the word. And so it is the Holy Spirit who gives, but we also need to at times position ourselves to, um, to be strengthened. Because sometimes we think, oh, I don't have time to stop. I've got so much to do and I'm running from here and there and running everywhere. But I find that sometimes if you actually just stop and you just sit at his feet, he can do more than you can do in all your striving and running around. And I feel like so many of us um, get into this, and I know I do, get into this trap of trying to do, 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 do. But we're doing it all in our own strength. And we actually get to the point where we almost get to the end of ourselves so God can say, you know what? Good effort, but I've got something better. I've actually got my strength that is unlimited all-powerful, and it can do more than you could ever do. Would you just tap into my strength? And those that abide in the vine, they bear much fruit. And so stop trying to do it in your own strength and work it out in your own wisdom because he has everything we need if we would just humble ourselves and go, God, I can't do it anymore. Would you come? And he does. He's just waiting for his children to come to him. And then the second petition that he has is about dwell. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, this is really one petition, but I've broken it up into two. But in other words, the purpose of being strengthened with power through the spirit is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
Now, I've always been puzzled by that. To me, that doesn't make sense. Because shouldn't it be the other way around? Because Christ dwells in our heart, then we're, we're strengthened. Because we can't have the power of the Holy Spirit until we are in Christ. But in all my readings and trying to dig in through commentaries and all of that, what I discovered that it wasn't actually talking about salvation, it's talking about sanctification. So we're already in Christ. But if you look at the word dwell, what that actually means, it means to settle down or to inhabit a house. So in this context, it isn't talking about Christ being inside our homes. He already is in our hearts. It's about making himself at home in your heart. In other words, Paul isn't referring to the act of Jesus' presence in our hearts, as in Jesus doesn't leave us, but his influence. And so a key to walking in spiritual power and strength is allowing Jesus to be Lord of your lives. Now to explain it this way, I'll never forget the day that I moved out of home and I moved into my new unit. And I was so excited, set up my own, all my new unit and I'd invite my friends over to um, come and have cups of tea. And I invited this one, one girl over for a cup of tea and we're sitting in the kitchen and it wasn't long before she starts rearranging my unit. She's rearranging my kitchen and she's moving things and she's cleaning things. And I began to get quite uncomfortable. I thought, gee, do I have a real dirty house? Now, my brother would probably testify, yes, I do have. But this was before kids. I was, before a husband and before kids, my house was, I thought, pretty in order. But she obviously thought not. And she wanted to make it better. And I became really uncomfortable. But by the time she'd finished, it actually looked a whole lot better. It really did. You know, and that's a picture of what happens when we allow Jesus to take up residence in our lives. When we give him permission to have his way in our hearts, things get shifted and things get rearranged and things get cleaned up and it can become uncomfortable at times. But it looks a whole lot better when he's done. And Paul understood this because he says, it's no longer I that lives but Christ that lives in me. And it's in dying to self that power and strength is released because it's in weakness that we see strength. And another one of my favourite scriptures comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. And it says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so if you're feeling weak today, be encouraged. Because it's Christ's strength in you that wants to be released today. And knowing that his strength is limitless. And he wants to fill us afresh today. The third petition that Paul makes is one of love. And if we look at verse 17 to 19. Paul writes that being rooted and established in love 
may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul here uses two words, two key words, rooted and grounded. And rooted is really an agricultural term. It means to have your roots go so deep and to be nourished. And we know that for for plants to be healthy, their roots have to be healthy. And they have to get all the nutrients and all the water and they have to go down deep. Shallow roots don't work. And it's the same for us. We need to be rooted in love. Our, our roots need to go deep down into the love of Christ so that we would be well nourished and, and we would be strengthened. And then he uses another word, the word grounded. And this is really a building term. It means to have a strong foundation. And I was reading a um, reading a story about this pastor who really wanted to do a new building project and he was getting really really frustrated because the foundation was taking so long and he was talking to the building he said why are you taking so long we need to we need to start moving higher and going up and we've got so much to do and the builder said to him if you don't go deep you can't go higher you know, and it's the same for us. We've got to learn to go deep in the Lord and in his love and in his strength if we want to go high and if we want to um, go wide. We want to be an influencer for him. So we need to be rooted and we need to be grounded. And then he goes on to say that they may grasp how long and wide is his love. And John Stott in his commentary says that the love of God Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner and it's high enough to exalt him to heaven. God's love never runs out and it's not based on whether we think we deserve it because while we're still sinners... Christ loved us and he died for us. And so Paul is praying that, you know, you will know this love that surpasses knowledge, which is really like an oxymoron. Because he wants you to know a love that surpasses knowing. But it really what it's talking about is an experiential and intimate know. That we wouldn't just know up here, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But we would actually know it right here in the core of us, in the depths of us. That even when we feel like we're so far from God or we, or we haven't you know, read our Bible enough or we haven't done enough for him, none of that matters because we know that we are loved because we know it in here. We know what the word of God says. Why is this so important? When I was praying about this and thinking about this, I felt the Lord lead me to the end of the Bible, to Revelations And I find it interesting that if we fast forward in history and look at the seven churches that the Lord rebuked, one of them was actually the church of Ephesians. And what were they rebuked for? In chapter 2 it says, verse 2 to 5, it says, I know your deeds. 
I know your hard work and I know your perseverance. So they were an amazing church. Paul put a lot into them. And, and he talks about, I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now when we read this, we think, well, they obviously got too busy working for the Lord that they, they kind of moved away from their first love of him. They forgot how much they loved him. And they were kind of treating him like taskmaster rather than a friend and, and a father. But I believe that they first lost something greater. Because the Bible says we, cannot lo- we love because he first loved us. And so I believe the first love the Ephesians lost was actually a realisation of how loved they were. Because the first love of the Ephesians was fueled, and it was um, they were so passionate because of the revelation of all that they had in Christ and how loved they were as dearly loved children. And there was such gratitude that spilled out that they just loved him. And in that loving, they did. But the real problem with the Ephesians that even though they were worked hard, they were no longer working out of a revelation of God's love for them. And sometimes we get so caught up, particularly if we're task-orientated people, that, the, um, that we, we see God as, you know, my master and all the things I've got to do for God and we feel satisfaction in doing all these things for him. But we forget that he just wants to also be our friend. And he just wants us to sit with him and not actually do that Mary and Martha you know, analogy, story. You know, and so they had drifted from this place and as a result their love drifted. They had got lost in the walk and the warfare. And as we move on in Ephesians and go into our walk and our warfare, it's important that we don't also lose what we've been learning about how we're seated in Christ. And Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And the word drift here means to move so slowly that you don't know you're drifting. And that's a real scary place to be. Um, in the holidays, we, we, went, we had the privilege of going up north and we went up to Coral Bay and we got an opportunity to do what well, I did to do a, what they call a drift snorkel. Um, we kind of forward drive to a beach and it was a five finger reef and there's like five fingers of reef and you kind of drift um, to, each, to each reef. And I had no flippers with me, I just had my mask on snorkel, but a lady said, I'm so scared out there, I saw a big stingray, you can have my flippers and go for a snorkel. So I got them on and off I went and, you know, it was amazing. You don't feel like you're moving, really. You're just kind of drifting along and then you look up and you realise how far you've gone. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, well, what stops us from drifting? And really to stop from drifting, you need to be standing, you need to be anchored. 
And so when to stop us from drifting, we need to be rooted and we need to be grounded in love. And how do we realise that we've drifted? Well, in the physical, the way I realised was I looked up. I looked up and I realised I'd come such a long way. And it's the same with us spiritually that when we look up and we put our eyes back on Jesus and remember who we are in Christ and remember all Christ has done in us and we remember how loved we are, we stop drifting. And I feel like the Lord doesn't want to rebuke people. He just wants to encourage people today that, hey, Perhaps you've drifted a little bit. Perhaps you've allowed things that seem really important kind of take hold and they've drifted you a little bit. Perhaps things have come and you haven't, you've maybe been offended or or hurt by something and you've kind of drifted a little bit. Just feel like the Lord just wants to lovingly encourage you, hey, be rooted and grounded in love in me and all those other things kind of fade away when we look into his glorious face. And yes, they are important, but when we are rooted and grounded in him and we're rooted and grounded in his strength and his power, then all those things kind of have a habit of working out or not becoming as important as we thought they were. The last petition that Paul makes is verse 19, and it's about fullness. It says, That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, God wants us to experience his fullness, which is through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if we're in Christ, we already have his fullness. Jesus was full of the Spirit and he never had lack. And Paul prays that the Ephesians would be without lack, which doesn't make sense if we already have everything. But in one sense, we are already made full or complete in Christ. We fully possess Christ as Saviour the moment we accept him into our lives. But positionally, so positionally, we are complete in him. But practically, we enjoy only the grace that we apprehend by faith. And so, and the other thing is that the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have parts of the Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. But that word filled means to be filled and keep on being filled. And so there's two aspects here. We have the fullness, but we still need the Lord to fill us and keep filling us and not go, well, I got my fill when I first got saved 50 years ago I'm done now no we need to keep coming to him Lord keep filling me afresh and then he goes on in verse 20 the the doxology the the grand conclusion it says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you know one of the things that stops us from walking all, walking in all that Christ has for us? It's us. It's us. We get in the way so many times of what God wants to do. And, you know, 
probably by now, I hope that we're quite convinced that because of our position in Christ, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Objectively, we understand at least more than we did all that we have. And doctrinally, we, we, we believe it. Well, most of us believe it. But our great problem has always been how to live like it. How to live like heirs. Not to become like that poor homeless man that had everything, but he died a pauper. I think I'm saying that right. He died not realising all that he actually had. May we not be like that man. May we be people that actually understand and then allow the Lord to work that out in and through us. And so Paul's great prayer is now we be what we know. That we subjectively appropriate the wealth into a walk worthy of the call of Christ. So how do we do this? It's right there in that verse. It's not us. It's not our striving or our working or our knowing all this stuff. It isn't through trying to open doors ourselves, trying to get to the top, trying to, to push on and, and to, um, to use all our might. It's through God's own spirit powerfully working in and through us. It says, now to him who is able to do according to his power that is at work within us. All that Jesus was and did as the incarnate son was through the power of the Holy Spirit. So why do we expect it to be any different for us? And you know the awesome thing is Jesus promised us that same power, that same Holy Spirit, since the day of Pentecost, this same Holy Spirit has been available to all that ask. And it is by faith that we take hold of it. It's not through, okay, I've got my degree, I've learned everything now, Lord, can I get my, my paycheck? No, it's not. It's through faith that we, we take hold. It's a gift that we receive And why? Not for our own glory, not so that we can make our name great and so we can build grand churches and and wow, look at us and look at this amazing church on the hill. It's not about us. It, It says it's not for our glory, but to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. Amen. If I can have the worship team up, please. You know, that's such a rich prayer and I've only just probably scraped the surface of it in our time today. So I encourage you to really, when you get home or even today, just pray pray through that scripture. Not just read it, but actually pray it. So I am going to pray it over us before we close. But I just feel the Lord wants to do a few things today. feel like for some of us we've become really weary and kind of at the end of ourselves like yeah we can keep going 
But I just feel like there's been a weariness of heart. There's a weariness of spirit. And the Lord just wants to breathe afresh and, and, and breathe in new strength. And so if that's you today, I want to pray for you. We've got our prayer team available. I just feel like some, some people have been really disappointed. Things haven't worked out. It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But I just feel like it says the God of hope does not disappoint. So I'm just going to pray that the, the Lord really just encourages you today. And the other aspect is not let your love drift. That some of you, for whatever reason, have maybe found that they've drifted. They've drifted away from being really rooted and grounded in love. And they've drifted away from their first love being in Jesus. The Lord just wants to do a bit of a shifting back today. And finally, I want to give people an opportunity. If you've never received the love of Jesus today, if you've never had the opportunity to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today. So let me just pray. And if you fit into any of those categories or if, you, if there's anything you need prayer for, I want to invite you forward as we sing this last song. So let me just pray this prayer for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray for you, Kalamunda, being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.